Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we are going to be talking with Mr. Colin O'Brien, who is the head of marketing at Rubik. Rubik is a leading cross-chain swap service that allows users to swap assets between major blockchains in one click and with relatively low gas fees, or according to the notes that I'm reading here, the lowest gas fees. Um, we're going to talk more about what Colin does and what Rubik does, but before we do that, we want to say hello to Colin. Colin, how are you today? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for asking. Glad to be here. Hey, I got to tell you, I've been on the road for um, about four weeks. I was in Europe, um, and then I got back to the U.S. I was at home for a day, did a 16-hour drive to Las Vegas for an industry event there, um, and had some more business stops up and down the coast. Finally got home, and I'm just getting caught up. Looked at my schedule today, and I saw of what I thought of was a guest appearance from Conan O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, I, that can't be right. I'm not that big yet. So, <laughs> but I've got the next second best or next best thing is Colin. Colin, where are you based at? Uh, I'm out of San Diego, California. Oh, yeah, one. Of, it's my favorite place on the West Coast. Uh, I've, in fact, I've been down there three times this year already, and uh, it's probably sunny and 70 degrees. Yeah, it's beautiful out right now. Yeah, I, I really like that, like Encinitas, uh, north of the city kind of area along the coast. It's just it's perfect and way too expensive for me right now <laughs> yeah it's um it's something else down here i i tell you it's like every day in paradise nice well hey um tell me um a little bit about what rubik does and then um and then and then we'll talk um you know more specifics about what what exactly you're doing yeah absolutely um rubik is a cross-chain aggregator platform so what Rubik does is essentially um, we have multiple blockchains that we support. We support multiple decentralized exchanges or automated market makers to source liquidity across all those different blockchain networks. Um, and then we utilize different bridges from different projects and we, we wrap everything into one comprehensive package to make it easy for users to interact between blockchain networks okay um, so you just take the complication out of it sure and and i i want to start at a very high level and you got to understand i think for people who are really deep in the weeds into crypto um you almost have your well you don't almost you definitely have your own industry jargon okay so sure. um so let's let's take a step back okay and <clears throat> let's let's talk about um you know why there are or some you know they describe the different chains and why why do users need to swap assets between these blockchains absolutely uh, so there's there's always going to be multiple blockchain networks that uh applications are built on top of for a number of reasons um, some blockchain networks are quicker to finality meaning they are able to execute uh, transactions and finalize those transactions quickly uh, other blockchain networks have um, a very low cost. Uh, so to perform multiple transactions, you're talking fractions of a penny to interact with it. Um, and then other blockchain networks um, are you know, better for gaming, 
Um, they are better for storage of value, uh, maybe even storage of data itself. So, um, you know, you can think of those different blockchain networks as unique environments in which applications can be built. And again, those applications will choose which blockchains they want to operate on based on what the needs of that application are. Um, okay. Yeah. If we were to just focus on crypto for a second and, and crypto, um, the, the use of crypto, whether that's uh, trading or using crypto to buy and sell so on, uh, what are the leading uh, networks? Uh, your leading networks right now, um, Ethereum, uh, BNB Smart Chain, Polygon, uh, Avalanche, uh, Solana, um, you know, Moonbeam, Moon River. There, there are a number of major blockchain networks, and they're all kind of jockeying for position right now and trying to find their own respective identities, um, attracting particular projects, particular business models, again, based on their strengths and weaknesses. Okay, and if we look at, I mean, I, I think the one that obviously the, probably most of us are most familiar with is Ethereum. You know, why would I want to, if I if I was simply buying and, and selling crypto, why would I want to use another uh, blockchain? Um, again, there are uh, a number of, of applications of, you know, different businesses that are building their products on these separate blockchain networks. Um, you know, Ethereum is the first blockchain network to have smart contracts. Um, since then, there's, you know, uh, dozens and dozens of copies, um, each focusing on, on specific niche aspects of, you know, what can differentiate them from previous iterations of other networks. So, uh, you know, right now it seems maybe a little frivolous to the average uh, consumer that, you know, why, why do there need to be multiple blockchain networks? But as the industry matures and um, these different networks, uh, you know, fall into their identities um, and, you know, perform certain roles in the industry, there will be different applications that are built on top of them. And, you know, if you use any applications on your phone today, right, you're just downloading from the Apple store, you're downloading from the Google Play store, you're not really thinking about anything, but those applications, those are built um, and, and all the data is stored on centralized servers somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, the cool thing with blockchain technology is there are no servers. Everything mm -hmm. is saved on the blockchain network itself, meaning everybody has a copy of it um, and it's immutable. You cannot change it after you have locked data into a block in the chain. So one of the really cool things that, that these blockchain networks uh, open up is trustless permissionless data exchange no more middlemen um and no expensive you know server centers all over the planet uh, everything is is on software not hardware yeah so i i get i get that aspect but I, you know for example if we go back to the example of ethereum i mean one of the um issues that i've heard is that it can be relatively expensive to use. Um, I, I think the the jargon is you know gas fees, 
um, yes. are, are relatively high. Could you just explain that and then explain, um, you know, what, what, what your thoughts are on that? Are they high? Are they not high? What are the options? And then does your solution kind of facilitate helping to select some of these other options? Yeah, absolutely. Well, to answer your question, um, I'm going to have to drill down a little bit more. Um, so you have different consensus mechanisms, um, different ways in which all the people participating to process transactions on a network are able to process those transactions. Um, Ethereum started out as proof of work, meaning mm -hmm. you have a computer somewhere processing transactions, physically spending energy, and the person who's doing that is being rewarded. Um, that reward is the gas fee that other individuals are paying, right? Um, but it proves to be a highly uh, inefficient way of doing things, especially considering how much uh, energy consumption there is. And, and you know, obviously the entire world is shifting more towards uh, an energy conscientious um, view for, for business, for government, for just the way we run our society. So it seems counterintuitive to create a burgeoning industry with, uh, you know, n not having that in mind. And again, Ethereum was created, uh, you know, at the beginning of last decade. So that wasn't really in the public consciousness yet. Um, so it ended up being pretty expensive to execute transactions. They have since now switched to a proof of stake model. Um, so it doesn't have that intensive... Uh, energy crunch to process transactions on the network. And that is what a lot of these other blockchains have done. So they've adopted this proof of stake model where it doesn't require a lot of energy to run the network, to process transactions on the network, and it's extremely cheap. Um, a perfect example is is Telos. They have uh, you know extremely low uh, transaction fees. We're talking fractions of a fraction of a penny. Um, so you can interact with it and interact with applications on it uh, for cheap compared to something like Ethereum. Okay, Th that makes a lot of sense. At, at the same time, I'm thinking like, okay, <clears throat> you know, maybe Ethereum is the is the gold standard or one of the old you know gold standards, and I I, I assume that a lot of people and institutions continue to use Ethereum because there's a certain amount of trust and credibility there. Um, and you know, and if if I go back to the example that you provided, the iOS store versus the um, uh, Google store, Google App Store, I, I I pick a platform and I use it. I don't typically switch data between the two different um, uh, formats or operating systems or apps stores, app providers. Um, I just kind of pick one and I use it. You know, like I carry around my iPhone, and that's that's what that's the universe that I live in. Why is it that um, that users and institutions, because what you're doing is you're helping um, them facilitate or you're facilitating their movement um, between up to, I guess, 15 different blockchains. Why do they want to do that? What's the is it because it for for different scenarios, these different blockchains are more optimized and that's they, they continually want to figure out where is the optimal place to be? Um, I would say that it, it it's we're empowering businesses to offer this to their users. So ultimately, it's it's you as the individual interacting with applications that are being built for blockchain networks for Web three um, that 
is it, that's really what we're doing. We're unlocking the ability for you to interact in an application. If I have a, a, a token on a different blockchain network than the application that I'm currently using, then I should be able to use the value that those tokens represent regardless of where it's located. And that's basically what we're enabling. We're enabling you to use the value that those tokens represent on a completely separate blockchain network inside the application that you're using, even if it's located on a different blockchain network entirely. Awesome. So if I have an app, <clears throat> let's just say it's a, I don't know, investment app, a shopping app, whatever it is, um, and I could pull money from my Venmo account and and use it to buy something using Apple Pay or something else. Basically, it it doesn't really matter. I don't have to, you know, go through all these steps to get the value out, transfer it over, get, and then you know deposit it into my uh, Apple Pay or some some other uh, PayPal or whatever it is. It's just the app itself can pull from wherever or kind of transfer seamlessly between these different blockchains. Correct. That so imagine you have a, a friend, he pays you back for lunch, um, and now you have a $30 credit on Venmo, and you decide you want to uh, you know, get an Uber home, right? It's, right now, it's really clunky to get that $30 credit from Venmo into your account, and then from there to, you know, uh, Uber, you'll be going through your bank account in the process. There's a whole lot of middle steps. Sure. Uh, what's really cool about Web3 and DeFi is we can remove all of those steps. So uh, if you had your Venmo app built on Ethereum, but the Uber app is built on Harmony or Telos, uh, I would be able to seamlessly use the credit that I have on Venmo on this other app, even though they're on completely separate blockchain networks. Right now, that's a very tall task to do, even in the blockchain industry, because you have to do everything manually. You have to, you know, trade the, your tokens for another asset that can be bridged between blockchain networks and then trade for the asset that you want once you get there. Um, it's a multi-step process. It's complicated. It's convoluted. It's it's far too complicated for you know mass adoption. Um, and so we're removing the complexity entirely by making it just a one-click swap. If I have this token on this blockchain network, I should be able to use it on any blockchain network I want in any app that I want. Totally makes sense. Yeah. And in the you know, the more trades, uh, it's obviously the more time and the more costs that are involved and and the opportunities for issues to arise. So is this, do you see this as kind of the, the, the future of, of where we're going instead of having singularity and having, um, you know, one or two major chains that everybody or the majority of the population or businesses use to, you know what, we, we, we don't really care how many chains there are. We just need, you know, the technology that will bridge uh, these different chains. Uh, yeah, I do. I see it as the future. Um, you know, there will be, uh, it, it's kind of like the the Apple Microsoft, the the Pepsi Coca-Cola, right? There's, there's usually two big players and then there's a third, right? Um, usually in a distant third. Um, in the, in the soda case, that'd be like RC Cola or somebody, right? I remember RC. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you're going to have 
different blockchain networks that specialize in different things. Um, again, some are going to be very fast. Some are going to handle data storage very well. Uh, others are going to be excellent for creating and minting uh, non-fungible tokens or NFTs, as they're called. Um, there will be different things that are required out of the actual uh, logical system, the blockchain network that's been created that will attract certain types of applications, right? So photo storage, um, stuff like that will, will, those will gravitate towards the blockchains that cater to data storage. Gotcha. Um, and, and I foresee they're not just being one blockchain for data storage. There will be at least two. And then again, probably a third, but a distant third. Um, and then there will be applications, multiple applications built on those particular blockchain networks that pertain to data storage. Um, so if I, you know, if, if I'm wanting to move back and forth between applications that I'm using on my phone, uh, say I have 10 different applications on my phone, I've got uh, food apps, I've got a grocery app, I've got a, uh, you know, a travel app, um, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you know, photo storage, cloud storage kind of thing. Um, you're going to have different applications built on different blockchain networks. And to be able to move value between those seamlessly, you're going to need a solution like Rubik, something that removes the complexity, uh, hides all of this work that's that's happening behind the scenes from users so that they can just use their applications the way they currently do right now for Web 2.0. Excellent. Well, can you talk a little bit about um, how other businesses are using your SDK to um, to adapt their apps to be compatible for the you know the various different blockchain networks? Absolutely. So what what we've done at Rubik is we've created a software development kit that is very easy to integrate. It's a hundred percent free. It's one hundred percent white label. Um, we even offer profit sharing through it. So any fees that may be incurred for any cross-chain swaps, we actually share with the businesses that integrate our SDK. So it's it's one of those rare win-win-wins in business. It's a win for us. It's a win for our partners who integrate our SDK. And it's a win for their users as well because they're just getting an instant upgrade to be able to interact seamlessly with all different types of applications built across a multitude of blockchain networks. Um, so again, our team has gone through the effort of, of putting together this comprehensive software development kit. Uh, it can be integrated in as little as 30 minutes, uh, for businesses and they can just easily upgrade their applications to now accept, uh, cross chain functionality. So, you know, if they were isolated, um, on a particular blockchain network in the past, they've now opened themselves up to users on all the different blockchain networks. Can you give some examples of different businesses or apps that um, that are currently available that are using your SDK? And if you can't name the, the, the business name, that's fine, but you could maybe give us a couple different use cases. Yeah, certainly. Um, okay, perfect example, uh, Network. They are one of the many companies right now that are um, building the metaverse, right? Building this virtual reality world where you can interact, uh, in a multitude of ways from, from gaming to shopping to, um, 
you know, business meetings. Um, it's it's basically virtual real estate. It's a virtual world that you can interact in. Um, and we are enabling any applications uh, built inside their world to now operate seamlessly across multiple blockchain networks, right? So you're not limited to the tokens that network is, uh, like the, the blockchain network that they are built on, which is Ethereum. You now have all the different blockchain networks and all the different users uh, that can, can now use value um, that is locked traditionally across all those different networks, but, but inside their application. Um, and that's one of many. We, we, we've got a number, we've got over uh, 80 different projects right now that have integrated our SDK. Um, you know, I really do see a future, uh, like what I mentioned earlier, like, you know, the goal is to be ubiquitous um, and, and a baseline protocol for Web3. That's what Rubik is trying to build here. Um, so being able to, you know, use Venmo and use Uber and Google Photos and to be able to move credits and value between those applications uh, seamlessly is is really the ultimate goal. And, and all the existing applications that you have right now for Web2, all the stuff that you can go find on the Apple Store or the Google Play Store, those will eventually be upgraded to Web3. So those applications will 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 be updated and, and, and put on a blockchain network. And again, that's going to be uh, specific to what that application requires out of the technology itself. If it needs to be quick, if it needs to store a lot of data, they'll pick different networks uh, accordingly. But um, yeah, the really cool thing is, is again, we will enable all of those different applications to talk to each other basically seamlessly between blockchain networks. Well, you know, I've been an advocate of crypto for for many years and and it's it's funny because <clears throat> you know they're the haters and some of those haters are slowly becoming you know active uh, traders or participants um, but one of the the complaints is is that you know it's still primarily if we talk about bitcoin for example primarily kind of a speculative play you buy it you sell it it's not really um, something that your average person is using for um, transactions on a regular basis. To go, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to to Amazon and using uh, crypto. Typically, uh, there are ways to do that, but it's still relatively cumbersome. What you're talking about is is a world where you know what the what the one major layer of complexity in terms of I, I'm limited to one chain is now I have I can go basically anywhere and and use whether it's crypto or it's my digital assets or whatever. Um, and I, I don't have to worry about that. And I, I would think that that would be once that reaches a certain, I don't know, critical mass, um, whether, you know, in terms of the technology being applied and also um, the uptake in terms of usage, that that will be, a, a, I just, I guess, one of the hurdles uh, will be removed from crypto becoming much more, and I, I use crypto, you know, obviously there are more applications, but crypto being much more commonly adopted for just regular transactions. If you imagine this, um, the meta metaverse, where you have these in metaverse apps that all of a sudden now I can buy and sell stuff regardless of what blockchain I'm, um, I'm currently on, or um, I think that that goes a long ways to just making it much easier and accessible for everybody. That said, 
you know, if you look at what's going on in the market right now, um, this is the this is the time for haters. So uh, they're 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 coming back. What what are your feelings in terms of you know where are we at um, in terms of the current economic situation? And uh, you know, is crypto still making gains as the financial system of the internet, or are we taking a step sideways? Or you know, what what what's the state of affairs from where you see it? Well, I think the recent pullback in the market is um, healthy for the growth of the industry. Um, you can't have you know line go up forever, right? There needs to be a pullback, a contraction, um, and so I think that that's what we're seeing right now. But you know. Being somebody who's uh, invested in the industry since 2016, I was I've been here for two legitimate bull runs now uh, in the market cycle, and I can tell you that the biggest hurdle to this day remains converting your fiat currency, you know, U.S. dollar, euros, the pound, the yuan, converting that into crypto itself. You need to use a centralized entity to be able to do that, whether that be uh, Coinbase or FTX or, you know, Binance or any of these other major um, centralized crypto exchanges, that's the that's the biggest hurdle right now to get people involved in the industry. Um, you're seeing a lot of signaling from governments around the world, uh, especially uh, the United States government most recently. Uh, regarding something they call CBDCs, they're central bank digital currencies. This is essentially a digital dollar, uh, a digital euro. So uh, there are, they call them stable coins. They are tokens that represent a fiat currency and they're supposed to be pegged to that currency one-to-one. -one. Um, you have private entities like Circle who have gone out, they've gotten a banking license and they've gone through all the regulatory um, steps and, and built this framework to basically operate as a bank that can issue currency. Um, but central banks around the world are going to switch to this CBDC model and it is going to enable citizens of those respective countries to easily convert their digital fiat currency into you know, blockchain currency into into Web3 tokenized currency. Um, and once we get to that point where, you know, your Wells Fargo's, your Bank of America's, your Chase's, they enable you to just take the money that's in your checking or savings account, convert it into the CBDC version of the US dollar. Um, it's going to open things up in a way that no one really thought possible and, and, and really adoption at that point is going to accelerate so rapidly that I think the industry will be caught by surprise. Um, and then we'll be at a point where we're trying to play catch up. We're trying to catch up to the the general public onboarding so fast. Um, right now, it's something about 3% of mankind owns some form of crypto. Um, and I I can see that going from 3% to 50% in a matter of years. It just depends on how aggressive governments around the world are with deploying CBDCs and converting their monetary system, their financial framework from, you know, kind of the analog cash system that we have now to fully digital tokenized assets um, on blockchain networks. 
Is there so, any concern at all? And I mean, we can talk about the U.S. situation, or maybe we maybe um, more relevant, we could talk about China, because um, China is working on a centralized digital currency as well. Is there any concern at all that the government will not let you? You know, you can buy their digital currency, but they will then not let you um, trade it for other currencies. Oh, absolutely. I can I can see that being the case. Um, you know, th- there's a there's a lot of arguments I hear, a lot of a lot of objections to this type of future. Um, you know, hey, won't the government be able to easily shut down my account? They won't let me spend money. I won't be able to convert it. Uh, that already exists. Um, uh, I point to the uh, the 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 truck um, protests, the trucking protests in, in Canada. Canada. Yeah, where that was the crazy. Yeah, they <laughs> shut off people's bank accounts. Uh, their private and, and, checking. And for accounts. what? And for what? What were they doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So they so, they were they were they, these were not the truckers. These were people who were making donations you know, like relatively small donations, $50, $100, you know, they weren't, it wasn't millions of dollars. They were, they were making small donations to these truckers and the Canadian government just, uh, deemed it. I'm sorry, I just cut you off, but I get, I get a little emotional about this. They, no, they deemed them, you, yeah. you, you hit the nail on the head. Um, that is the reality of this logical evolution of our our accounting system and that's what's really different about blockchain technology there's a lot of buzzwords here and there but at the end of the day it's decentralized ledger technology um you know for all of human history we have recorded our our accounting you know um debts and credits on uh physical pieces of paper. It's only been in the last 50, 60 years that we've started to digitize our accounting. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just the natural evolution of that. We now have um, you know, cryptographic security in place so that people can trust one another without needing a middleman to verify and, and skim off the top to verify that both parties are reputable um they can interact with each other and and do so in a way that is trustless right they don't need to to trust each other because they know that the the end-to-end transaction is going to be secure and it's going to be immutable um so the way i see it it's just it's an inevitability we've created this technology we have the math we have the hardware uh, and now we have the software and there's no putting the genie back in the bottle um you know, regardless of what anyone thinks of it, if it could be um, used uh, very Orwellian in a, in a totalitarian style, uh, absolutely it could be. Um, but we already have a number of systems that we have deployed today that could be used that way. But we see the, you know, some nations are are more authoritarian and others are um, more democratic and open and, and, and free in that regard. And you'll see a reflection of the current, uh, you know, economic environment and, and and just digital information environment translate into web three as well. Right. So, so any, you know, states or nations that kind of have that uh, totalitarian authoritarian um, angle are probably going to continue down that road. I mean, that's, that's a whole nother topic, but um, the way I see it is just this technology. It's, it's, it's an evolution of our accounting. Yeah. at the end of the day 
Um, and it opens up so many possibilities when you no longer have middlemen that are skimming off the top and then slowing the whole process down. You're going to be able to, um, you know, there's all sorts of business models that don't exist yet that will, thanks to this type of technology. You know, it's funny because <clears throat> I remember when um, to, to buy a ticket, you would call something called a travel agent and, um, and then they would, you know, you make a reservation on the phone and then you'd go over and pick up the ticket. Um, and it was like a, you know, a, a four carbon, a four page or four, I don't know. Um, yeah, I guess four pieces of paper with carbon and whatever. And then you'd have to present that at the gate and whatever. And the travel agents would get a commission from the airlines. Um, and then you start having sites like Orbitz that, um, and booking.com and whatever, they all basically cut out the, the travel agents and, and, and started, you know, you could just go direct from home. And, and now you have this new evolution where most large airlines, you can just go direct to them now because of the, 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 the web and you get the same deal that you would from going through orbits or something like that. But sometimes you got to actually get better terms. So it's kind of, it's kind of like, um, and, and I, and I use that ex uh, analogy or that example because I, you know, I've been frustrated forever with the banks. I've lived overseas off and on for 20 something years and, you know, trying to transfer money back and forth, cashing checks, forget about it. You know, it's just, it's always, um, time-consuming and expensive process and they always get you with the fees you know I, mm -hmm. I can i could go down i could go on a very long diatribe i lived in singapore for four years and was just getting raped by my bank as i was transferring singapore dollars back into my u.s dollar account in the u.s and it was just i didn't even you know they published one rate but then behind the scenes they were charging these other rates and and you're stuck though because what can you do well we're getting to a time and place where um like you said there are many more options out there and it's it's about time and i can't wait for it to go even farther because it's I, like i said i think we're just at the beginning um one of the things also is that you know look what's going on right now with um inflation so if you're holding dollars you know you seem like you're in relatively good shape compared to most of the other currencies around the world but even your dollar is is devalued depending on what what you what you believe the real rate of inflation to be. Whereas if you have something like Bitcoin, where there's a finite uh, amount that will ever be mined, you have an anti-inflationary kind of mechanism built into the currency, and you don't have that with most fiat currencies. So so there are there's, there's some major major advantages, um, or I guess upsides there. At the same time, there are some hurdles that you were just talking about. Um, let me ask you this though, totally switch tracks. I want to get back to, you know, um, your Rubik's offering is security mm -hmm. a concern for your users? Like how do they, how can you get them to trust, Hey, this SDK is in fact, it, it it's going to do as it says, and it, you know, there are no security issues with it. Is, is that a concern at all? It is not a concern. One of the really awesome things about what um, our founders and what our development team have been able to do is they've built a structure for Rubik that has no back end. We don't have any servers. Everything, when you're dealing with Rubik, everything is directly interacting with the blockchain networks on a smart contract level. So we're talking pure code that interacts with the blockchain. Um, you know, there in this space, in this this cross-chain space of blockchain technology, um, that we have there's something called bridges, right? Now these bridges need to bridge these assets across networks, right? So so if I have a token A 
right on on network one and i want token b on network uh or token a on network two rather um it basically will lock the token on network one and then create a copy of that on network two now it still exists on network one but it's locked away and it won't get unlocked unless i take those tokens on network two and bring them back now i'm sure uh listeners out there have heard about all the different hacks that have happened in blockchain over the last year plus to the tune of about two billion dollars that is what those people are exploiting they are exploiting the tokens that are being locked on one network and then being minted on a completely different network they're they're tricking it into thinking that they either have assets they don't have or that the assets now can be unlocked even though there are no tokens present to actually unlock them and that is how people have managed to walk away with hundreds of millions of dollars um we don't do any of that we actually leverage other businesses that are doing that so um we have no risk associated with um acting as both a bank vault and a money printer which is essentially what a lot of these bridges are. They're they're acting as like a Fort Knox and uh, you know a treasury building all in one. Um, and what we can do is, if there are any vulnerabilities, we we have the ability to shut off any of the uh, different bridges, any of the different liquidity pools that we're sourcing from at any given time. Uh, we do twenty four seven monitoring. And uh, we have a 24 seven uh, support staff as well, but there is always someone present um, to be able to make sure that the system is automatically doing what it needs to do. And if there is any malfeasance on any aspect of anything connected to the Rubik platform, again, it immediately gets truncated. Um, and you can kind of, the way I've been explaining it to people is, um, Rubik is kind of like your, your Google maps, right? where I need to go from point A to point B. We're going to find you all the different routes that you could go. We're going to present you the most efficient route, both time-wise and spending gas. Mm -hmm. But if there is something wrong on one of those routes, we can just quickly cut that off, send you on a detour. We'll still get you to point B. It may not be as efficient, uh, but we'll get you there. I like that analogy. All of a sudden, it just became really, really clear. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so let me ask you, as I mentioned at the beginning, I want to talk a little bit about what you do, because I, I think, um, you know, marketing, running the marketing team or um, for for a, a blockchain company, it's kind of it's new territory. It's a, it's a, it would, it, it, to me, it would be challenging because, you know, it's 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 still developing market. So what do you do to reach out to your prospective customers? Obviously, you, you, I'm, I'm assuming this is not your first podcast, so you probably do some podcasts, but what else do you do? Yeah, well, um, I, I handle, I, I'm not the, uh, we have actually a chief marketing officer. Okay. Um, and that is uh, Elena Samanova. Um, but I handle PR. So just, you know, standard public relations. Um, every week we do a podcast. 
where we give a breakdown to our community and all our users, all the different updates and things that we've been working on uh, behind the scenes for both development and marketing. Um, and so I will go through that again every Friday. I have guests on from different businesses, different projects that we're partnered with. Um, we discuss what they're working on, trends in the industry, things like that. Uh, you know, I come on podcasts like yours as well. Um, but, you know, it is. It is really challenging. There is a lot of money out there in this in this space. Um, a lot of people have angel investors and venture capitalist firms uh, bankrolling them, and they've got millions of dollars to throw out their marketing budget. Um, we don't, <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't have, uh, uh, I think it was Coinbase who did the QR logo, um, or they just did a QR code rather, uh, that bounced around the screen for a minute during the Super Bowl, right? Wow. I cost them millions of dollars. <laughs> it got them tons of users, tons of new users, but, um, you know, we, we look at that and we saw the different budgets that people were just throwing money around and. We thought to ourselves, it's probably best we don't focus on the end user at this stage, right. just because one, there aren't that many people involved in the industry yet. There aren't that many users and interacting with blockchain tech on a daily basis. Um, but we felt it would be more appropriate to focus our marketing efforts on trying to attract businesses to our software development kit so that we can then all of their users basically become our users. Right. So, so is there like i mean do you have a a, a target list of i mean i'm assuming that you must there must be thousands of, of different businesses at this point um that that you you target by is it i guess direct contact or or are there industry events as well oh absolutely um i you could have found me at the uh, consensus 2022 in austin earlier this year um but we have our own business development team and uh you know we're going to conferences all over the world uh getting our name out there um i was actually very pleasantly surprised to realize that uh you know a lot of these people who work in the industry know who we are and not only do they know who we are they actually use rubik uh to do their trades so um it was it was really refreshing to um you know learn that earlier this year to really know that okay, yeah, there's a lot of people who are very excited about what it is that we're doing. And um, we're going to continue continue to try to attract those people. But we're really also going to focus on a lot of legacy Web2 companies as they come into this blockchain space and they start building applications or, or rather um, just kind of updating their applications to operate on the blockchain in, in, in a Web3 environment. Um, we are going to focus on targeting those businesses as well so that they can jump right into blockchain. And now anybody using any of the different blockchain networks are potential users for them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, the big, big names, we, we have high, high ambitions uh, for Rubik. Again, we're yep. wanting to be a, a baseline protocol um, for Web3. And it's something that users won't even know that they're they're interacting with. Um, I've likened it to like TCP IP or, mm -hmm. or HTTP, right? People, you, you type that in, everyone kind of knows what it looks like, but I mean, the average person has no idea what those acronyms even stand for, nor what mm -hmm. they're even doing. But those are baseline protocols for the current Web2 environment. Um, so we're hoping to get Rubik to a point where 
you know, we're we're just a, a standard thing that anybody building applications for Web3 are utilizing Rubik to unlock the full potential of decentralized finance. Well, I, it, it's definitely an exciting space to be in, and it sounds like you found um, a very nice niche or place for you, um, and it seems like you're doing well. I mean, obviously, if you go to an industry event and people come and say, hey, yeah, we use you guys, I mean, that's the greatest feeling in the world. Um, and so that's that's awesome. Hey, I, uh, I've enjoyed this conversation. I've learned a ton. Uh, as I said, I'm not a subject matter expert, but um, but I enjoy learning about this, and I'm going to be a follower of your podcast now. If users want, or excuse me, users, if <laughs> listeners want to get more information, um, where would be the best place for them to go? Uh, you can go check out our official website, rubik.exchange, or you can check us out over on Twitter. Uh, Crypto Rubik is our Twitter handle. Awesome. Uh, but if you go to rubik.exchange, you'll see at the very bottom of our webs, uh, website there uh, a link to all of our different socials, uh, Twitter, Telegram, um reddit youtube facebook discord um so we've got we've got everything there um and it will give you a full breakdown of what it is that we're doing we have our pitch deck and our one pager all our documentation everything is open source so um any programmers that happen to be listening today you can go check out our code right now on our github again that link is on our website as well um and anybody interested in either uh, you know, jumping into Web3 for the first time and building an application, or you're taking an existing Web2 application and you want to upgrade it to Web3, uh, definitely reach out to us. You can contact us either uh, through our website uh, or through any of our social accounts, and we're more than happy to help you get started. Again, people can integrate our software development kit in as little as 30 minutes, um, and it's completely free completely white label and fully customizable. That's a pretty enticing offer. Well, hey, Colin, thank you so much for being on Secure Talk, and I wish you the best for the remainder of 2022. Excellent. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.